This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Facebook is dealing with another scandal right now. A British analytics company working uh, in the past with the Trump campaign apparently harvested some 50 million Facebook profiles and developed a, may have developed a system that might have been used as an influencer in the election process. And this process has both officials in the United States and the U.K. concerned. This is a company that has worked on campaigns around the globe. Some politicians suggest that there may be other motivations for their work, even looking at how the Brexit came about. But did Cambridge Analytics have an influence over the U.S. election? Listen here to Alexander Nix, CEO of Cambridge Analytica, at the Digital Marketing Rockstars Conference earlier this year. We were able to use data to identify that there was very large quantities of persuadable voters there that could be influenced to vote for the Trump campaign. That part of the Channel 4 News uh, expose on Cambridge Analytica released uh, within the last 24 hours. To take a deeper dive into this, we are joined on the phone by Jen Goldbeck, who is director of the Social Intelligence Lab and professor of information studies at the University of Maryland. And also joining us is Sinan Oral, who is a management professor at MIT. Jen, Sinan, great to have you both with us. Thank you for your time. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, just, I, I guess, your reaction to what we've seen, because I think, Jen, I'll start with you. For a lot of people uh, in the public, they're trying to wrap their hands, their heads around some of this. Yeah, I. it's been interesting, because we talk a lot on the show about tech stuff. You and I do. I come on all the time. But this is exactly what I do my research on. Like, I build a lot of the kinds of algorithms that find these things out about people. And I've been talking about it. I've probably talked to 100,000 people over the last couple of years. And people are always shocked that we're able to get these insights, like what your personality traits are, what your political preferences are, how influenced you can be, and how much of that data we're able to harvest. And so, on one hand, I'm glad that this is finally in the news because this is not the only place that data is being used. But in general, yeah, I think people need to understand, one, that any app on Facebook can pull the kind of data that these did. They can pull all of your data and the data of all your friends. So even if you don't install any apps, if your friends use apps, those apps can pull your data. And then once they have that, they can get these extremely deep, intimate insights using artificial intelligence about how to influence you, how to change your behavior. And it's one thing if that's to get you to buy a pair of shoes, and it's another thing if it's to change the outcome of an election. Sidon? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, uh, we're experiencing a watershed moment with regard to social media. I think that people are now uh, beginning to realize that uh, social media is not just uh, either a fun plaything or, or, uh, or a nuisance. Uh, it can have potentially real consequences in society. Uh, I think, though, we do need to be careful to jump to conclusions about the, uh, the degree of influence that Cambridge Analytica might have had on the election or, or so forth, because uh, we really just don't know the answer. Uh, there's been a, a lot of research. Uh, it's, it's inconclusive. Um, and we need a lot more research if we're really going to understand this problem. And, and that was actually going to be one of my questions coming up, Sinan, is that seemingly we, we've kind of uh, opened the door a little bit here, but we really don't know at this point what the actual impact is for each particular person uh, on those potential touch points, correct? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is this is one of the biggest questions that is floating around this this topic today is, well, how much influence did Cambridge Analytica have? How much influence hypothetically could a firm like this have employing methods like this? And the answer is we just don't know. Uh, I've conducted some of the largest uh, randomized experiments measuring influence and susceptibility to influence in social media. Uh, and I can say that we just don't have definitive evidence that can either confirm, deny, or quantify uh, the effect of these types of methods on persuasion and or changing uh, voting behavior uh, enough to uh, change the election, an election outcome or not. The, the thing that I will say is that, uh, you know, Right now, it could have a potentially chilling effect on the very research that we need to get to the bottom of the effect of social media on our democracy, our economy, and even our public health. Facebook is facing a transparency paradox. On one hand, they are uh, being pressured strongly to be more open and transparent about how their uh, uh, advertising targeting algorithms work, how their newsfeed algorithms work, how their trending algorithms work. And on the other hand, they're being strongly pressured to be more secure about the release of data for research. And so if we're going to uh, thread this needle, they're going to have to find a way to be more open and transparent and secure at the same time. Well, Jen, I'll let you take it from there, because the, obviously a lot of the questions surround Facebook right now, what they did, what they didn't do, what they knew, what they didn't know, and, and potentially the impact uh, of this moving forward. Yeah, and there's a couple really interesting points to address there. One is just what does Facebook think about all this? And they have really tried to play both sides of it. Uh, they have academic papers that say they're able to influence how people vote, whether or not they go out and vote. Um, that's old research from them, but they claimed in that one academic paper that they could make a 0.5% difference in the number of people who go vote, which translates to millions of votes if you deploy that on a countrywide scale. Uh, they have advertised in their uh, materials to people who want to advertise on that platform about the influence that they have. They've done a lot of internal research on that. They have great researchers working on these kinds of data science problems. So on one hand, they claim that they can have a big influence. On the other hand, they want to say, no, 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 we haven't had any impact on this. It's crazy to think that. Um, so they are going to have a really tough acts to, to play here um, to actually justify, you know, what they're claiming on both sides. But then Sunan raises this really interesting point about academic research because he's absolutely right. We don't really know the impact that, whether it's Cambridge Analytica or anyone else who's using these techniques, what impacts does that have on people? How much influence does it have? And we want Facebook to make that data available to academic researchers, which has been hard to get. Um, and frankly, it's even more complicated because Cambridge Analytica got a lot of that data from someone who is running an academic research project. So you can't just say, oh, you know, companies can only access this, but we'll give special access to academic researchers because here you had an academic researcher doing an academic project who then just shipped all the data over to his company uh, and it was used for these purposes. And so it's going to be really tricky because you don't want this big piece of how society operates just blocked off, accessible only to Facebook and the, basically the people who are going to help them make money. You want academic researchers to be able to study this. But how you balance that against 
generally people wanting to keep these things private, which I completely respect, and academic researchers who may misuse it when there's the ability to make money or gain power, that yeah. is something we don't know how to handle yet, and it's it's going to be playing out over the next year. Well, Sinan, one of the things that I have mentioned with Jen in the past, and, and I will ask for your opinion as well, is that when you think about Facebook, uh, it, it's becoming increasingly evident that as Mark Zuckerberg developed this, he was believing that it was going to be one thing, and obviously it has transformed into something else. And and maybe in the course of uh, of this building out, he was not thinking about all the different impacts that that this entity as as a social media giant was going to have. And now he and Facebook are kind of learning as they go to a degree. Yeah, I think it would be impossible for anyone to be able to predict that many years out what the potential applications or uses uh, of this kind of platform would be, you know, from the dorm room in, uh, yeah. in 2004 to the present day to know all of these emergent consequences. It's unrealistic to imagine anyone could have foreseen that. But uh, today, now that uh, we are seeing some signs of potential effects on our democracy, our elections, our economy, our public health, and so on, uh, I think it's imperative uh, that these platforms remain open and transparent. Uh, I think Jen said it beautifully in terms of uh, academic research. We need objective outside third parties to be able to vet and understand scientifically what the potential consequences are for our society and what the uh, potential solutions to those consequences could be. The fact that uh, Facebook is currently remaining uh, quite silent uh, in terms of statements by uh, Sheryl Sandberg or Mark Zuckerberg uh, is a bit troubling. Uh, I do believe they will uh, begin to speak uh, in the coming days, and they should. Uh, because that kind of openness is going to be essential uh, for us to move forward as a society. We are joined on the phone by Jennifer Goldback of the University of Maryland, Sinat Oral of MIT. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan. Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We are talking about the ongoing story regarding Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and uh, this uh, breach of data. Uh, Jen, obviously, when you're talking about any kind of, of quote-unquote data loss uh, today, uh, you're talking about a, a, a grave concern. And what's interesting is that partly because Cambridge Analytica is a British company, uh, this has two very powerful countries involved, basically looking for the, the same type of information as to what happened and why it happened. Yeah, it, it's complicated because also there's a lot of rules in the UK that there aren't here in the US about how data is used. And so one shoe that has yet to drop that I'm anticipating is that among those 50 million users that they've collected data on will be people from the UK who have much greater protections over that data being collected than we do in the US, um, which is going to bring a whole bunch of UK attention down on Cambridge Analytica on top of what's already there. And then beyond that, there's also questions. You had mentioned Brexit in the intro, but questions about other elections that Cambridge Analytica may have influenced. And there's yeah. been some news coming out that they have had a similar impact in the Kenyan election. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, this becomes a much more kind of global question of 
you know, are we essentially seeing kind of psychological warfare from a company who's trying to influence things to go in a kind of conservative or nationalist way? Is this purely fueled by profit? Uh, and are there any ways that people can get out of this? Because Facebook's position has been sort of interesting. They keep saying it wasn't a breach. It wasn't in a, a breach. It was fraud. But they're right in a way that Cambridge Analytica took data in a way that's perfectly in line with what Facebook allows. They yeah. didn't hack them. They didn't illegally get into their systems. They used things that violated the terms of service. But uh, Facebook allows lots of companies to collect data in the same way that Cambridge Analytica did. Um, and I'm sure plenty of them are breaking the rules in that way. But yeah, so there's a lot of questions about um, legally what happens if you violate those terms of service. And then in the UK, what happens if you've collected data when you can't, and potentially in other countries besides the US and the UK, what influences did Cambridge Analytica have, and how are they responsible, and how is Facebook responsible? I guess, Sinan, the question for a lot of people is, how much hot water do you think Facebook is in right now? And it sounds like, uh, from some of the reporting we've seen in the last 24 hours, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg is going to be called uh, to uh, Congress here in the U.S. and to regulators in the U.K., to really discuss what happened and how it happened. I fully expect uh, Mark Zuckerberg and other executives of Facebook to comply with those requests uh, from the United States Congress and, uh, and from other countries. I think uh, that would be the right thing to do, uh, both from a shareholders and business perspective and from uh, sort of uh, uh, a moral and society's outcome uh, perspective. I think that's what will happen. Um, I think it's important to remember here that, uh, you know, Cambridge Analytica is, is really a, a nefarious actor here. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the undercover video that was made yeah. uh, by, by, that, uh, by Channel 4, I think it was, yes. uh, that, show, that shows uh, the CEO boasting about their ability to use entrapment methods and, and spreading fake news online to, uh, to, to affect election outcomes, essentially setting up things that aren't true and, and so on. Um, you know, this is not just a normal advertiser using data to target ads. This is uh, sort of a nefarious actor with, with very uh, sort of skewed understanding of what's morally right and wrong, in my opinion, based on the evidence that we've seen so far. Uh, the, the researcher who, who gave away the data also uh, I think is you know flagrantly violating Facebook's terms of service, yeah. and and I think there's an important line to be drawn between the appropriate uses of technology to you know pro, you know produce social welfare through uh, different kinds of communication platforms like Facebook, access to news and information, uh, and so on, uh, versus uh, you know these nefarious actors. I think it would be a real shame if. The outcome was to, uh, you know, in essence, throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, and say that, you know, the only, you know, the only solution to this problem is to pull the plug on Facebook and all of these social technologies because, you know, uh, there's no way to tell the difference between a bad actor and a good actor. Uh, I, I just don't think that's the case. Jen? Yeah, I completely agree with everything Sunan said. And I would just add into that that part of the discussion that we as a community of researchers who work in this space has been, have been having is what's the ethical way to do this? 
advertising, certainly using people's data, but even academic research. Um, it's completely right that Cambridge Analytica is way outside the spectrum of what researchers normally do. I think if I did what their academic researcher did, I would be fired from the University of Maryland. Uh, I certainly operate under that assumption. But as academic researchers, we're really trained on the ethics of using data. Um, and companies are not held to those standards. And if we look just at Facebook as an example, if you remember a few summers ago, they released this social contagion study where they basically showed some people just happy news for a couple of weeks and some people just sad news and said, yeah, we can make people happy or sad depending on that. This is a psychological experiment. I would have to get months of approval and informed consent from anyone who participated in that. Facebook didn't have to do it. Uh, and there was a pretty decent sized outcry from the community, including me, saying that it's unethical to psychologically experiment on people like this without their consent. And I had colleagues in Facebook, people that I respect, that I have worked with, who said, I'm bad for the field for saying things like this, that huh. uh, it's unreasonable that I would call them out. And so there's this culture in these corporations that, look, we have this data, we can do all these experiments, we're finding this stuff out, and it ignores decades of research and thought in the academic community that's gone into how do you ethically do this research. And so I think, I hope that this will kind of spur more of that conversation, because we absolutely don't want to just throw out research on social media, throw out these platforms. But we do want to start thinking, okay, we've thought about this in the medical space, all the way back to like the Tuskegee experiments, medical experiments that were done unethically. Uh, in universities, we run this research ethically. So let's think about ways that we codify that and really give people some of those rights in a broader space that they don't have now. 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment via twitter at at bizradio111 or my twitter account which is at danloney21 we are joined by jen goldbeck of uh, the university of maryland sinan aral who is with the sloan school of management at mit you can join us with your comments at 844-942-7866 or if you like send us a comment via twitter at bizradio111 or my twitter account which is at danloney21 sinam what is your expectation let's look at the us side here for a second what is your expectation as to how this will play out here in the united states with facebook well i mean i think that uh, i think that jen is absolutely right in the sense that uh, you know we're we're at a very critical moment uh, there's sort of a fork in the road here, and, and we can go in one of two broad directions, uh, and, and in fact, uh, very many smaller directions within those two broad directions. There could be a backlash, a wholesale backlash against Facebook, social media, uh, and or the, the quote-unquote business models uh, of these platforms in general, uh, or there could be an understanding of the differences between, uh, you know, using data appropriately and ethically, as Jen uh, described so artfully, in order to understand how uh, these technologies are affecting our society. I think what will happen, in my opinion, is that, uh, you know, I think we will come to a middle ground where uh, we learn to use these technologies ethically uh, in order to enhance our society, our access to information. Uh, our ability to cooperate and coordinate with one another, uh, our ability to spread positive social change uh, in the world, while at the same time uh, tightening uh, uh, use requirements for this kind of data, 
bringing back the notion of uh, informed consent and consent uh, in a meaningful way uh, so that we can realize the promise of social media yeah. while avoiding the peril. But do you do you think that if this plays out and it does kind of uh, you know show a little bit of the underside here that this could have a significant impact on, on researchers and the and the ability to do some of the work and the understanding of of this type of data moving forward? I think it could have that effect, and I think that that would actually be the worst of all outcomes if the uh, platforms are essentially. Uh, if the outcome is that the platforms remain uh, committed to delivering their services, but the outcry around public uh, exposure of data or things like that is so great that the platforms essentially become even more insular and say, well, because of the security concerns, we can no longer have any connection to the outside world in terms of what's going on inside Facebook or uh, Twitter with data and, you know, how is it affecting uh, people's lives and so on, that is absolutely the worst outcome for everyone because then we will have even less of an understanding of what's going on than we do today. Yeah. And uh, we will be potentially uh, experiencing consequences that we can't even comprehend. Jen, how do you see this playing out here in the U.S.? Yeah, I hope it's not that scenario that we just talked about. Yeah. I, I completely agree with what Sinan said. And on top of that, it doesn't mean that this research will stop. It just means the research will take place inside the companies for whatever purposes that they're most interested in. Um, and you already see that to some extent. It's very hard to do research on Facebook because the data is so locked down. But Facebook does big studies on their data um, that, you know, look super impressive because the size is so big, but no one else is able to validate that or look at it. Um, look, I think if we were to start going in the way that things get made difficult for people, but I would be kind of okay with it, it would be that people stop putting as much data on these platforms. Um, and that would mean, you know, as academics, we still research this new, more ephemeral way that people do it. But I certainly use Facebook like this. I use a tool called Facebook Timeline Cleaner, and I delete everything every two weeks. I don't have an archive of everything on Facebook. I don't have a bunch of likes on Facebook. Yeah. And none of these algorithms that Cambridge Analytica used work on me because there's not enough data there. Um, you know, there's tools for Twitter like Tweet Delete that will do the same thing. And so I think if people get really concerned about this, one way that you can make yourself less susceptible to some of this kind of targeting is to keep less data there, delete stuff more regularly, treat it as an ephemeral platform. So, sure, that makes my life as a researcher a little <laughs> bit more difficult, but I'm cool with that, right? I'm great if, like, you just don't want to share stuff and then I don't have access to it. I can still study things around that new way of using it. Um, and it lets people protect themselves a little bit more than just saying, well, block access to everything. Only Facebook can have that because... Yeah, I mean, Sunan put it great. Like, that doesn't actually help us understand how these platforms are working and the influence they can have. But it does allow Facebook or any other corporate entity to maintain that and still keep doing whatever they want. But, but again, does this, uh, to a degree, and we've talked, Jen, about this in the past, does this put the consumer, the person that is on Facebook, you know, kind of left hanging in the wind to a degree? Because how many people out there that, that are, you know, general users of Facebook understand a lot of, of what is going on, really, you know, the, the core elements in this until they actually come out in the media? 
you're exactly right. I mean, most people don't. And even once you explain it, it's still, this is really complicated stuff, right? Like right. I have a PhD and I come up with this. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that, you know, an average tech user is going to understand or want to spend time thinking about. Um, but look, this is something that I have been trying to warn people about, not the specific application, but this general kind of thing for years. I have spent a ton of time doing it. And people get it, but you also feel kind of powerless. Like, what's your option if you're worried about this? Like, get off Facebook entirely? Like, that's not actually a valid option, right? Because it's a core way social media is of how we communicate with people. Um, then what, right? You try to put your settings on. You try to be careful, but you don't really understand what people are doing, especially in cases like this yeah. where the protections that you should have are violated. Um so, yeah, I mean, what's the alternative? Like, Facebook's not going to protect your data, right? They want to share it with people if it's going to help them make money. Right. Uh, these companies aren't going to protect your data because they're going to exploit it, whether it's for money or influence or power. So it's kind of left to you. And, look, this may be the kind of thing, and, and I would love to see this, where we have to start teaching kids, like, starting in elementary school, like, here's what it means to have data about yourself, here's the kind of stuff they can do, and, and really, like, ramp up people's literacy about the algorithms and the influence. Of course, that's always changing, right? But, uh, yeah, it's a tricky problem, but ultimately, who's going to protect you? Kind of nobody at this point, which means you are sort of stuck protecting yourself, which is tricky, but the only option that I see right now. Sidon? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, two points. The In terms of Facebook's motivation, even in terms of their profit incentive uh, to use data uh, for uh, advertising purposes and other types of purposes, I think uh, they understand, and I think it's true, that there is this notion of a short-term profit incentive and a long-term sustainable uh, profit incentive. You can use data in, uh, you know, in ways that are, are sort of not what people would expect or want their data to be used for uh, in the short term to make great profit. But that is not a long-term sustainable profit-maximizing strategy because if these types of Cambridge Analytica events continue to happen uh, and if Facebook is not uh, you know, a, a, a good steward of our data and our, uh, and, and our, uh, and our personal lives, uh, then eventually it will come back to harm their long-term profit uh, eventually. And it, it, it's just not sustainable. So I think that Facebook understands that, uh, I would assume. And I think that uh, it's, it's uh, relatively obvious that these types of things uh, at the expense of, you know, short-term profit, they're just not worth it in terms of the sustainability of the platform long term. So I think there will be uh, measures that the platforms take uh, in order to try to make sure to uh, deal with the sustainability factor. Right. And I, I agree with Jen. I think that uh, information literacy and data literacy uh, is is a really important part of how this society needs to move forward, educating kids and, and even adults uh, about what can be done with their data uh, is critical. Great having you both with us today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Sinan. All the best. Thanks. Thanks.
Thank you. Jennifer Goldbeck, uh, Director of the Social Intelligence Lab and Professor of Information Studies at the University of Maryland, Sonata Rawl Management Professor at MIT. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.